If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to continue on this aspect of revival. Stirring and sowing the seed for revival. I'm going to grab my other Bible over here as well. Just in case. Um, And understanding, first of all, with revival, revival is not a three-day meeting. It's not something that, you know, a certain church does every year at the same time of year. Um, it's not a goosebump. It's not falling down. It's not running around. Um, I mean, sometimes those things can be fruits of revival. They can be an outflow of when the presence of God comes on your life. And... Uh, but really, I want you to really understand the God's heart for revival. You know, God's heart for revival is about transformation. That that's really it's it's not. You know, my longing heart of as a pastor is that the the glory of God and the presence of God would come into this church in such a way that that we have church seven days a week. You know, um, that, that it's just, we, we want to be in his presence. And, and if, and I understand we have jobs, we have responsibilities and we have all those things. I'm not making light of those things, but I'm thinking, when are we making, are we making room for revival in our lives? I mean, sometimes, sometimes revival can be inconvenient. Well, my favorite show comes on Tuesday night. I, you know, I've, I guess we have DVR now. I'm thinking two years ago, but, but, but the point is, is revival is God's heartbeat. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, him bringing back man to where he, where they were before they were, before, when they were first placed in the garden, them getting back to that situation would be revival. It's, it's God manifesting in a life to take a life higher. That's revi- revival. Revival is, is a reawakening to a spiritual fervor. Revival is a coming back to life. And, and I, I know day in and day out, life, busyness, family, children, jobs, work, all those things are constantly being poured into your life. And, 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 and what happens is, is we just kind of just go through the motions of life, so to speak. And yet all the while, God's saying, I want to breathe on you. Revival is about transformation. I, when I, I think of revival, when I'm, like, so I'm trying to give you a picture, something beyond just an understanding of revival that you might have known before. You know, I think of, think about this story. Think about Zacchaeus. You know, the old song, Zacchaeus, a wee little old man was he. You know, he went up in the tree and he came down and Jesus spent the day with him or whatever. So the whole point is what happened is, is, is there was revival that took place in Zacchaeus' life. Salvation came to him and his house that day. Revival took place. He was, he was desiring something on the inside of his life and it caused him to take a step in a different direction in order for him to receive really what the longing of his heart was. 
You're seeing revival. You look at the woman with the issue of blood and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. What happened? You saw revival take place in that. You, you see the, the woman that, that was bent over for, uh, for, was it 13 years or 38 years, bent over. And, and, and Jesus says, says, you are loose from this infirmity. You are a daughter of Abraham. You should, you should be loosed from this infirmity. This was before Jesus even died on the cross for us. And he was saying, she's a daughter of Abraham. She should be loose from this. So what, that was a revival of, of, of covenant. That was a revival of understanding. So don't get in a picture and a mindset of, well, pastor, just believing for revival so we can have services seven days a week for the next 90 days. That's, that, that, I'm, I'm laying foundation here. Because if seeds aren't planted, then a sprout doesn't grow. If a sprout doesn't grow, a tree isn't produced. And if tree isn't produced, then fruit won't grow. So, you know, Romans, tell, Romans 10 says, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How can someone be healed unless someone be sent? So I'm, I'm, I'm sent as your pastor to lay some seeds to take us to another level. Revival. And a lot of this came off of just throughout these, the season that we've been in. And you've heard me say it uh, out of Romans chapter 8. You know, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So revival takes place when we choose to be spiritually minded. It begins that. When we change our direction. When we change our direction to to, to something that can revive us. Now, let's look at here, and I don't have any time really to review with some of the things I've dealt with in this, but let's start reading. I'm going to read in the King James. And... Verse 5. Follow along. If you don't have King James, you can look up on the screen. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal man is enmity against God... For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Whoa. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ... Now, read the next, this next verse with me. Read 10, verse 10 with me. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Let's keep reading. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Stop there. See, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now it's telling us that this spirit that raised up Jesus does what? It dwells in you. Say that with me, dwells in me. Then it tells us that spirit that dwells in me, it says that spirit quickens my mortal body. Quicken means to be made alive. 
Quicken means to make made alive. You could call that revival. So his spirit revives me. My mortal body. It didn't say my spirit. It said my mortal body. It's it, it, it quickens this. It transforms this. Thank you, Father. Now let's read verse, uh, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Verse 13, you can read with me. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. Wow. So we we see here that if I'm understanding that his spirit dwells in me, and if I am led by that spirit, I am a son of God. You see, that revival of his spirit coming on the inside of man transformed me from being a sinner to now being a son. Revival is all about transformation. Now, it's this word led here, and, and, and I'm not taking anything against that because led means that we're getting direction from, and all that is true. But there's another understanding I want you to see this morning is that this word led, if you look it up in the, in the Greek, there's a couple other words that signify this word. Number one is bring, and another word is carry. Those that carry the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those that bring the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, so take it from the realm of just being led of God's, that, that the Spirit's given me direction in my life, and that's what makes me a son. No, what makes you a son is you are a carrier. You're a carrier of his presence. Everywhere I go, I bring this presence, Vic. Everywhere I go, I bring him with me. Why? Because I've been transformed. He revived me. I made Jesus the Lord of my life. And his spirit came down on the inside of me and quickened me and made me alive. And and I am a son of God. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 9. And there's so many different directions we could go with this. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Nikki on Wednesday ministered on righteousness. It's a great message. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But Romans chapter 9. And I'll just go as far as we can go this morning and we'll see how far we can get here. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us, even us, say even us. Even us. And get a picture of this. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Now, don't, don't look at this vessel as a natural object. You, you, say me. me. Say, I'm a, I'm a vessel of mercy. Of mercy. Then he says, even us. 
that he wants to show you the riches of his glory on you. You're a vessel. What's a vessel? A vessel is a carrier. A vessel is a container. A vessel carries something. You know, if you, if you go and take an international trip and, and, and you are filling out your customs declaration form, you either go out of the country, you come back into this country, and one of the things that it's going to ask you is, what was your vessel number? That's, that's what it used. What's the vessel? What kind of vessel? Was it a boat? Was it a plane? What was the, what was the vessel number? What, what, did that, what did it do? It carried people from one destination to another. And I want you to see this morning that you are a vessel that carries something. You're a carrier of something. His presence is on the inside of you. As Romans 8 said, you, he dwells in us. He, he dwells in us. Say that with me. He dwells in me. Verse 24, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. Man, that's, that's all of us. He, let, he left no one out. Verse 25, as he says also in O.C., which that's just, that means Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. Now, this is talking about who this, these vessels of mercy. And I love this. He brings up an Old Testament scripture in Hosea. I wish I had time to talk about that. It says, I will call them my people, my people, which were not my people. Meaning something that you didn't have a right to, you now have a right to. Something that you didn't have access to, you now have access to. Something that wasn't yours is now yours. And her beloved, which were not beloved. Those that weren't loved, all of a sudden now are loved. Once that, once that no, no one cared about them, now they're cared about. Verse 26, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. The children of the living, the children of the living God, not a dead God. The children of the living God. So not only you have a spirit on the inside of you, but the spirit that's on the inside of you is alive. Let's go to Ephesians. Doing some teaching this morning. Thank you, Father. I'm not going to have time to read all these, but we'll break it up a little bit. You can mark uh, Ephesians 3 down to verse 14. Uh, just, you can follow along with me in, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, meaning already has, who hath blessed us, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, I can invert the scripture like this. George, look at me for a second. The good pleasure of his will. God's ultimate desire, George, is that he would adopt you. The good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of his will, what he gets pleasure from, what his heartbeat is, what he desires, the good pleasure of his will is that we would be adopted. That we would be brought into a family. Once you were, you were not beloved, but now you're beloved. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. He chose you from the foundation of the world. And he blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. He chose you. He blessed you. He adopted you. He redeemed you. He bought you. He healed you. He delivered you. You have to see. This is about, see, when you get a revelation of this, it will bring transformation to your life. Thank you, Father. For the sake of time, let's go to verse... Um, 11, in whom also, talking about in Christ also, we have obtained an inheritance. We like the sound of an inheritance. I'm just waiting for one day I hear about this inheritance. (laughs) Maybe it's someone I never knew. My parents didn't know. And all of a sudden, hey, you're inheriting something. But if you didn't know it already, I want you to know that if you haven't inherited anything in the earth, I want you to get a revelation that you've inherited something much beyond silver and gold. You've inherited something way beyond this natural world could provide. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Later on in this, in this chapter, Paul even prays and he says, I, I pray that your eyes would be open to it. That means, why is he praying that? Because that means a lot of people's eyes aren't open to it. I believe most of the church world's eyes are closed to the revelation of the inheritance that we have with the saints. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left out of anything that's mine. I, I want to make sure I know all the small print of what's mine. Because it's mine, Vic. And if you truly don't understand what's on the inside of you, you're going to live short change the rest of your life. You're going to live from one defeat to another defeat, one emotional roller coaster to another emotional roller coaster. What I'm talking about today is something's going to totally revolutionize your life if you get a hold of it. If we get a hold of it. Because I'm telling you, the church needs to be the city that's set on a hill. The believer needs to be the brightest person in the room. But most of the time we're not because we don't see ourselves from a position of our inheritance. Hallelujah. 
in whom also we've obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Now remember what, what did Romans 9 say? That the, the glory, the riches of his glory would be on the vessels of mercy. Now here it says that we should be the praise of the glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed. After you were you believed. And then what does it say? After you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Which the, is the earnest, the guarantee. You ever bought a house where they, they asked you to put down earnest money? You didn't know what that meant, right? But now you know they're just being King James. <laughs> earnest money, guarantee. It's a guarantee. Which is the earnest, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of the glory. Meaning, I have this guarantee, I have this inheritance, this guarantee that is to rest with me until final redemption. What's final redemption? When Jesus comes back and gets the church. So I have this guarantee until he gets me. I, I have the seal. The seal represents whose I am. So, so until either I go to heaven or he comes back and gets to the church, I have this inheritance, Vic. I have this seal. And the Holy Spirit is that seal that's placed upon my life. It's a guarantee that I, that, that, that he's coming back for me. It's my, it's my, it's my name tag, so to speak. And it's this inheritance. I have this inheritance. And it, what is the inheritance? It's the promise of the Spirit. It's the promise of the Spirit that is the earnest of our inheritance. The Spirit. The promise of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I could go so many different directions with this this morning. And we'll see how things go over the weeks to come. But I don't want to get ahead of, I believe, where the Holy Spirit wants to go. So... You, you understand, it's that guarantee that is the difference maker in my life. It is the favor factor. It is the anointing factor. It's the difference maker. It is the blessing. It's the difference maker. And see, and this is what he poured out on the vessels of mercy. This is what he made available to all of creation. This is, this is what all of a sudden now you once were not a people, but now you're a people. What makes you, it, what makes the difference? It's that seal that's on your life. Amen. It's not, it, it, it's not the, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's him. It's, 
him. He, 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 he wants to be on the inside of you. He wants to dwell on the inside of you. He wants you to be the biggest thing in his life. He wants you to know that he's on the inside of there. It's not just something that you refer to on a Sunday morning. Go, go to Isaiah 32, Isaiah 32. See, it's the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit. First, I want you to see something about the difference maker. And I could show you different, different, uh, this, different aspects of this about being the difference maker. You know, even in Samuel, you can just may, may, keep note of this thought that it said when the Spirit of God came upon him, it said he turned into another man. Meaning it didn't, it didn't change, it didn't change who he was. All of a sudden he, you know, that, that he was Vic and when the Spirit of God came on, all of a sudden he turned to Joseph. <laughs> no, it was he, Spirit of God coming on Vic, all of a sudden now is able to do things he couldn't do before. Why? Because the Spirit of God, the promise of the Spirit, the seal, the guarantee, our inheritance is the deciding, is the difference maker in my life. In Isaiah 32, verse 14, this whole section here is about about, um, uh, restoration after calamity. Restoration after calamity, and really, and really, how did the calamity take place? And just take a little rabbit trail here. If you look at verse nine and verse ten, it said because the women were at ease, and I believe he's referring to he's referring to the church, the bride. And he said because they were at ease, meaning meaning they just, they just they just sat back and just let life happen. But when, when, when they were at ease, what happened? This place that was supposed to be fortified, this place that was supposed to be, be um, populous, this place that where there was supposed to be joy, this place that was supposed to be a beacon for other people to come to, all of a sudden it says this in verse 14. And I'll read in the um, Amplified. It says, For the palaces shall be forsaken. The populous city shall be deserted. The hill and the watchtower shall become dens for wild animals. Endlessly, a joy for wild donkeys, a pasture for flocks. And then it says this, until. Meaning this is going to happen until something happens. Meaning this is going to be desolate. This, this city is not going to change. This city is not going to awaken to its purpose. This city is not going to be, be what it needs to be until something happens. And what does it say? Until the spirit is poured out. Upon us from on high, and that wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field a valued forest. Meaning, where this all of a sudden, where it was a populous thing and it, it lost everything, also all of a sudden, because when the spirits poured out, what was once a wilderness will now become a forest. What was once a forest will now become a fruitful field. All because of what? The spirit. You see, the spirit is the difference maker. So what, what, what brought revival to this city? The spirit. The spirit. And see, it's the promise. This was a promise, and we see it throughout scriptures, the promise of the spirit. It's, my, it's the seal upon my life. It's my inheritance. And it says, the promise of the spirit. The promise of the spirit. 
You see, prophecy, and I can show you, you know, Joel chapter 2. In the last days, I will pour out what? My spirit on all flesh. What is that? That's a prophecy. But yeah, follow me this. When a prophecy is spoken, the moment words, a prophecy, comes out of a prophet's mouth from God, all of a sudden those words are now covenant words. It's no longer just a prophecy. See, a prophecy that's spoken by God all of a sudden now becomes a promise. See, a prophecy becomes a promise. Look at every, every prophecy throughout the Old Testament. And really, ultimately, that prophecy is pointing to a promise for humanity. There's one coming that will be born of a virgin. That's a prophecy. But not only is it a prophecy, but it's a promise. Zechariah, he, 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 he will come and he'll be riding on a donkey. That's, that's a prophecy, but all of a sudden now it's a promise. So prophecy has to become a promise. And so in the Old Testament, we can see it's all through there that the Spirit would come. The Spirit is coming. The Spirit of God is coming. The Spirit of God is coming. Until the Spirit, I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Isaiah 44, verse 3. I will pour... Water on him who is thirsty and in the spirit. I will pour water on dry ground and my spirit on those that are thirsty. You see, it's a, it's a promise. His spirit. And it dwells in you. It dwells in me. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37. So this promise of the Spirit. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Thank you, Lord. Verse 25, and I want to read in the King James first. It says, And they shall dwell in a land that I've given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Now, we know David wasn't going to live forever. So what's the prophet referring to? Jesus. Isaiah prophesies that, that he will come out of the stem of Jesse. Well, who was the son of Jesse? David. <laughs> See, this is a messianic pro- says, uh, prophecy. and says, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. But, but, Jesus, but I know Jesus is my king forever. Right? Moreover, verse 26, Moreover, I will make my covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. 
My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. We're seeing a theme this morning in, in several scriptures. What, once they were not a people, but now they are a people. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel. Now get this. When my... When... So the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel. When my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. My goal this morning, or I believe the Lord's goal is not necessarily for me to go... Isn't I don't want to be deep, but I want you to get a hold of something that's being said here. Let me read it this way. This is that word sanctuary. And he says, verse 26, I will place, I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them. Now, let me say it this way. It didn't say he would set them in his sanctuary. He didn't say, I'm going to set them in my sanctuary. He said, I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them. Wow. Sanctuary means a holy place. A sacred place. This word sanctuary here isn't about a building. It's about a set-apart place. A place specifically for him. I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them. I will set my holy presence in the midst of them. Then he says, my tabernacle. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Now, the word tabernacle here, if you look it up in the Hebrew, means a place of habitation. It's a dwelling place. Meaning, I'm going to make in the midst of them my holy place. And in that place is is my habitation. You knew what was on the inside of you. I'm telling you, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are a people that is a place that he has chosen to place his sanctuary. And not just that, he said, my tabernacle. Not only that, it's his place where he wants to be. I'm telling you, this, I'm, like I said, I'm planting seeds of revival. Tell you, we're, we're not going to step into greater things until we truly understand how much he wants to be with us. And even the next verse, verse 20, 28 says, And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord. The heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel. The world will know 
The rest of Fort Worth and Crowley will know that they sanctify the believers in this area. When? When my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them. Now get that. The rest of the world will know when something happens. See, I I think a lot of times we're just wanting people to get saved left and right, but is the sanctuary in us? Are we allowing him to sanctuary in us? Are we allowing him a place of habitation in us? Danny, come here. Heard this by the Spirit. I will give you songs in the night. Meditate on habitation in sanctuary. And I'll release something in you that will take people there. The heathen will know that I am the Lord. I do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them. It didn't say this. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord that does sanctify Israel when my people come to the sanctuary. They care le- a lot of people care less that you're here today within these four walls. There's a lot of people, there's a whole progressive movement throughout this nation. Progressive movement throughout this nation. And I'm not being political here. You need to to research progressive, Marxist, socialist governments. And they all turned to communism. Which means they will control where you go, what you can do. And who you can worship. What you can worship. Where you can give. Where you can't give. To see by the spirit of the Lord. So be very cautious. As you go in. And you base your, you base your life on what platform and party you're a part of. I'm not, I'm not elevating either party. I'm just saying. Be cautious. He says, it's not, they're, they're not going to know just because, we, because they came to his sanctuary. No, he goes, they'll know when I sanctuary in the midst of them. Let me read this. Hang on, I'm out of time. Hold on. I'll read this in the message. Starting in verse 24 in the message, it says, And they'll follow my laws and keep my statutes. They'll live in the same land I gave my servant Jacob the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their grandchildren will live there forever, and my servant David will be their prince forever. I'll make a covenant of peace with them, and they'll hold everything together, an everlasting covenant, and I'll make them secure and place my holy place of worship at the center of their lives forever. 
I'll place my holy place of worship at the center of their lives forever. I'll live right with them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. The nations will realize that I, God, make Israel holy when my holy place of worship is established at the center of their lives. He dwells on the inside of you and me. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and sons are God. Hallelujah. Dwell in the Spirit of God. Commune with the Spirit of God. Go to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter six. Verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. I don't need to explain that, do I? Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. And I read you the wrong scripture. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It must have been the right scripture because it, hallelujah, that must have been for someone. I'm like. Second Corinthians, I was, I was in first, so turning red right now. Is it hot in here or is it just me? I'm like, well, that was a great scripture, but hey, praise the Lord. Someone needed to hear that, praise the Lord. You watching by way of internet, you needed to hear that. Hallelujah. Verse 14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship has unrighteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord with Christ, with Belial? And what part hath a believer with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are, you are, you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He poured out on the vessels of mercy, the riches of his glory. So once that we were not a people, we are now a people. Once we were not beloved, but now we're beloved, that he will call us children of God. He says, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. Just hold your hands out like this for a moment. And I have more. Hopefully we'll, we'll get into more next week. I didn't, didn't near get where I thought I was going to go, but, but God, the Lord. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. 
that you chose these vessels of mercy to place yourself in. Lord, I repent where I've made it about a a sanctuary I go to instead of a sanctuary that you show up in. Lord, I, I, I choose to make room. Place your hand over your heart. I make room for you. Say that I make room for you in this sanctuary. Say this, Lord, I thank you for the promise of the Spirit. Thank you for giving me access for me to dwell in you and you to dwell in me. Revive me. Transform me. Change what needs to be changed. Remove what needs to be removed. I'm hungry for you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just with heads bowed and eyes closed and you say, Pastor Justin, I want to make that prophecy, which is a promise, what Ezekiel talked about, a reality in my daily life. Just if that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Not about you, but I do. Mm. Hallelujah. Take us higher, Father. Take us higher, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for your manifested presence. You see, where his presence is, where you invite him, where he shows up, it brings an atmosphere of transformation. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You received that this morning? So I guess you have to show up next week for part two. <laughs> Pastor Annette, give my wife a hand as she comes and receive her tithes and offerings. Amen.